Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. That strange purring sound you can hear in the background isn't Smudge the Cat, it's Kieran. It's Kieran enjoying a performance yesterday against Arsenal in Bridge Brighton scored not one, Kieran, not one, but two goals in the same game. How was that? (laughs) Yeah, we had to have written instructions on what to do when we scored as fans because we sort of looked at each other and said, <laughs> did, we just, did we just do that? Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, a, a wonderful day out at the Emirates. Um, and I'd like to shout out to to Harry, the Arsenal fan. I, I was having a chat with a, a, a few of the old Bill uh, before the match, uh, you know, just because they, they were asking about Uncle Terry. Uh, of course. Which is very kind yeah. of them. And uh, an Arsenal fan recognised the voice and came across and said how much you love the podcast. So, oh. so Harry, the Arsenal fan, uh, thank you very much for the kind words and uh, so- sorry to have ruined your day. Um, and Kevin's equally sorry to have ruined your day on Monday, which means between us, not very much. Yeah. Uh, but, 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 you know, that's football. We are currently Tottenham fans' favourite pod at the moment. Yes. <laughs> Although I have to say it did play into the usual media frenzy about your manager. As we speak, Jeff Stelling and several other Sky Pundits will be stirring palms in front of Graham Potter's donkey as he makes his triumphant entry into Brighton. <laughs> um, it's Questions Day, Kieran. Um, Palace fans may have noticed I haven't mentioned Leicester uh, because we haven't played them yet, just so you know. I'm assuming we'll win. That's how good things are at the moment, Kieran. Uh, and now I'm assuming I'll get the blame if we lose for saying out loud that we'll win. Uh, two stories, though, before some very good questions. The first one is potentially huge, Kieran. Um, it broke on Thursday. Der Spiegel, German magazine, have published what I think you can only describe as a fairly incendiary story about Manchester City. Yes, um, Der de Spiegel have <coughs> unearthed more emails Um in relation to to Manchester City, and this broadly is to do with financial fair play issues, <coughs> but there were also some hints, stroke allegations with regards to uh, payments for recruiting youth players, which, which yeah. isn't allowed under both uh, Premier League and UEFA rules. Now, yeah, we all we also know that it will, it takes place all the time. Uh, if you've only got to read any of the the regular stories or or, or talk to agents, and they'll and they'll sort of uh, they'll, they'll give you a slight sidelong glance, pull down the pull down the blinds, uh, sweep the room for bugs, and say, "Well, this is how it really works." Kieran. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm I'm aware of some very high profile players whose parents have been given. Uh, unusual, unusual benefits uh, from third parties not directly connected to clubs, but so so yeah. There's issues with regards to um, I think Jaden Sancho. Uh, these are allegations, and then it comes to financial fair play. Now, 
if you want to circumvent financial fair play, there are two ways of doing this. First of all, you can artificially inflate income. And secondly, you can artificially deflate costs. Yeah. And the the allegations, the inferences uh, that were being made by Der Spiegel was that uh, money was coming from the club owner rather than the sponsor or uh, in, in order to fund Manchester City. Now, under financial fair play, um, you are limited as to how much money from the club owner you can put in as much money as you want, but only effectively the first 25 million euro over a rolling three-year period counts. So um, that was the, the claim uh, with regards to that. And there were some, there were certainly some correspondence which, which didn't look great, but it, at the same time, was it a smoking gun? Would it be sufficient to reopen a case from cash? That's, that's, for, that's for the lawyers to determine. Um, the other way to circumvent financial fair play is to artificially deflate costs. And the way that you can do this is that, let's say you want to pay somebody £10 million a year, but it ain't going to work for financial fair play purposes. What you do is that you pay them £4 million a year, and then you get a friendly party to employ them as an ambassador or have a separate contract for employment for doing something else for £6 million, which runs in parallel with the employment contract for the football club. So this is uh, this is in respect of Roberto Mancini when yep. he was the uh, manager. And um, you know, he, he did appear to have other contracts. Now, that's that's perfectly legal. You know, we, we see Cristiano Ronaldo advertising products all the time. We were discussing on last week's show about uh, Lionel Messi signing a £20 million deal with Socios. Yep. Um, so, so that's okay, but I, th- I think the, the the sort of the the inference that was coming from Der Spiegel was that the only reason why some of these contracts had been uh, given to Roberto Mancini was because it, it it assisted Manchester City. Is is that enough evidence? We don't know. There is a there is a statute of limitations uh, with regards to UEFA's own constitution as as to how far they can go back and you know clearly these things you know R- R- the Roberto Mancini era is is a good few years ago as Manchester City is concerned there does appear to be an ongoing investigation by the Premier League but the Premier League are being tight-lipped Manchester City are being tight-lipped um lawyers are going through Range Rover brochures uh, <laughs> at at a rapid rate uh, because uh, they they will be the biggest winners in, in whatever is going on behind the scenes. That's all we know. There are several things I find intriguing about this story, Kieran, and I, I did read it unusually. It, it pricked my interest so much so that I read the entire thing, which is not like me, as you know. I normally take a couple of sentences out of context, and then you explain to me what I've done wrong when we get to the actual podcast. But first of all, the Mancini story we know about we've discussed that you told me about that 18 months ago so that's not that's not new what is new is is the spiegel's clear implication that city have been financed by the government of abu dhabi rather as you say by the owner of the club or by the sponsor but also within their report the spiegel more or less say themselves that this is probably the last you'll hear from us because we simply can't compete with the government of Abu Dhabi, with Manchester City, when it comes to affording legal representation. So we probably can't 
continue this story. So they've dropped their little hand grenade in and walked back. But is it is the legal aspect one of the reasons why this story so utterly failed to be taken up by our press? Because I, I assumed when the Dish Beagle story came out that our press would be all over this, but nothing. No, they just showed no interest. Is that because it's not a story or is that because they are afraid of legal outcomes in the same way that the Spiegel clearly are? Um, um, well, it, it is in The Guardian. Uh, I think it, it has been covered by the BBC. Uh, Pep Guardiola was asked about it uh, at his press conference on Friday, and he said, I'm a football manager. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah what, what happened before I arrived here, um, I don't know. And, and ultimately, the club's told me X, and, and, and I've no reason to disbelieve them. So um, it, it has been covered. It just doesn't seem to float the boat of, of some of the uh, s- some of the journalists um there, there are others who who are who are following this you know people like Nick Harris Tarek Panja who 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 are sort of very much from the investigative <coughs> arm and David yeah. Tom, the, these guys have been you know regularly highlighting the issue they they would appear to believe you know, one end of the story, Manchester City are pushing back and saying, you know, this this is all a, a conspiracy. That this is, you know, we, we are we are the victims in all of this, and also pointing out that the other clubs or some other clubs in the Premier League seem very keen to to highlight this because they're all competing for four Champions League places, and and as yeah. always, there's there's self interest from all parties. And you know, I've always said to you, self interest. There's nothing wrong with self interest. We all we all operate on a self interest on a daily basis. Um, but uh, I think for some of some of the other newspapers, they, they they perhaps they feel they got their fingers burnt when when the Manchester City cast verdict came out, and, yeah. and Manchester City uh, their their two year ban was was reversed. And they're they're looking for something bigger. And again, you, you read all of the the stuff that was that was came out from Der Spiegel, and yet it, it it didn't look great. But is that enough for a successful prosecution? Yeah. Uh, I think the jury's very much out. You see, I don't think it has been covered really, Kieran. I mean, it's been mentioned, but also I think it doesn't just reflect uh, a fear of legal ramifications. I think it reflects a certain cynicism about football in general, in that most people will look at this and go, yeah, so we assume yeah. all the top clubs are doing this and get, working their way around all the regulations. Good luck to them. I wish my club could do it. That's, unfortunately, yeah. that seems to be the attitude. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you entirely. Yeah. You know, if, if you, if, 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 as soon as you start digging below the surface of any club, no, nobody's, nobody's squeaky clean. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's, I have no issue with that. Yeah, you know, we we like a bit of dirt in football. Let's face it; this podcast would have died on its ass. Yeah, um, yeah, within, within two episodes, had it not been for things like that. So you know, let's let's not be hypocrites on this. Yeah, we and and it's and it is a bit of juicy gossip. Um, ultimately, it's it's a legal or it's a potential legal it, it dispute or issue between two or three parties, and I'd much rather be talking about. Brighton's performance yesterday at Arsenal, as, as long as you know, as long with yeah, thousands yeah, let's, of people. Let's move on from that, Kieran. Stop. Okay, let's move stop, on. Stop banging on about that for the love of God. <laughs> so, some of us scored three goals against Arsenal. Come on. Now. <laughs> um, th- this is a story that that won't be subject of investigative journalism or much gossip, uh, except outside a particular part of Sussex, and that is that Crawley Town have completed their takeover and their new owners 
are involved in an, an industry in which everybody seems to be involved in at the moment here, aren't they? Yes. So, yes, yeah, so the, the takeover of Crawley Town um, uh, did take place. Um, I, I was slightly alarmed to be quoted in the, the local Sussex newspaper who interviewed me when, when they start stating my age. Now, now what, at what point does my, does my age, Maguire, 60, said, okay, hold on, hold on. Clearly implying, Kieran, that you're losing your marbles at the great age of... It's, <laughs> do, well, do you know, it's, it's an interesting one because uh, it's one of the things that uh, I'm sure the Baroness would agree with Ali on this one. That it's, uh, she gets absolutely furious when they say in the media they, they reveal... A woman's age, and quite right. Whatever your age is, not it's just Maguire. So having said that, Kieran, it is all over your your Twitter feed. Your yes. girl is sixty, clumsy and shy. So, but well, yes. I, I think I thought I was to play on words or from uh, half a true. person by the Smiths. So, also, you know. to, to be fair, Kieran, you are probably the biggest name they've interviewed for quite some time in in, in, Crawley. <laughs> in, the, in the Crawley Advertiser. Yeah, since since Romesh <laughs> Ranganathan moved out of Crawley to wherever it is, <laughs> they're, they're, they're short of news now, Kieran. So. Uh, but yes, yeah, so tell us about Wagme United, who have taken this club over. Right, uh, yeah, Wagme stands for we are we're all gonna make it. Oh, Christ! So instantly, <laughs> alarm bells. Jesus Christ, <laughs> Christ comes into this. Oh my lord! On Palm, um, on Palm Sunday as well, Crikey. Yeah, I, I, no, I won't say that about Palm Sunday. Um, <laughs> no, don't, Kieran. Please. <laughs> We've still got the BAFTA chance. Yes, at the moment. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, this, this, uh, they're, they're American owners. Um, uh, Wagme United Limited is a company formed with one pound's worth oh, of shares. Right. One, one English pound. So, uh, but apparently, they, they, funnily enough, they, they are a, um, a W3 stroke crypto company. Uh, but the the previous owner, by all accounts, he says, uh, yeah, I'll, "I'll have cash, lads, if you don't mind." Uh, yeah, good, yeah good, good good luck with all your stuff. Um, so um, it, it was sort of announced on on another podcast for uh, for people who are interested, in that. and I, I think it's fair to say I, I did sort of listen to them talking about it, and and, and I started to pay the claim of crypto bingo. Yeah. Um, so they managed to mention W three drop community space traders engagement benefits fomo and i had to google that and that was uh, it wasn't in the it wasn't in the viz profanosaurus fomo stands for fear of missing out so yeah. you've got to get in with his kids otherwise you know the, you, could, yeah. you could be millionaires um and I, I don't, what what their aim is and and this could work i mean you know, crawley town is uh yeah it's got 700 season ticket holders it's it's yeah. it's, it's it's probably punching above its weight in efl league two um, um, and and it you know it, it potters along and, and as somebody that lives in Sussex you know I'm, I always sort of, you, know, you keep a, a a quiet eye on, on their on how they're getting on. Um, they they have a limit as to, as to what they can achieve un, under present circumstances. And the aim of the new owners is to um, encourage the community. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to buy our good friends NFTs. And again, for, for people who are not familiar, what is an NFT? It is a digital asset. It's, it's, the, it's the equivalent of a Panini card, um, except instead of having a physical version that you open from a pack, you, you can buy some of these and you don't know what you're going to get a lot of the time and you'll get a, you'll get a cartoon picture or a, or a photograph of a Crawley Town footballer. Now, here we've got, I think, you know, 
under normal circumstances, you'd say to yourself, I think there's a natural limit to, to the market for these. But I think what the owners are taking the view of, as as this is the, the first crypto club in the EFL, will crypto traders now what is a crypto trader a crypto trader is a bloke living with his mum who eats pot noodles at night um who calls himself a trader but but actually yeah a, a, a trader is is to me, when i hear the word trader I, I know currency traders i know oil traders who work in canary wharf they these these people that call themselves traders on the internet i think they're, they're, they're a bit more low-key um <clears throat> than that um, what they're going to try to do is all of these people who listen to the podcasts, who follow the guys who who are, are the owners on on Twitter and so on, they they are hoping that they are going to buy into Crawley Town because they're going to become the flagship club um, for the the W three crypto NFT market, and therefore somebody who's got absolutely no interest in football and has not any interest in in Crawley Town, they will buy some of the NFTs because they're buying into something in which the, these people believe. So, so that's where they hope the money's going to come from. We were saying only last week, Liverpool had an NFT uh, drop and ninety percent of it went unsold. Yeah. So it's 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 going to it's going to involve a fair amount of persuasion. Um, and, and, you know, and you know, so, so long as we still have a Crawley Town to talk about in five years' time, my view is is, you know, is good luck to them. What what I what I am concerned about is what happens if their initial drop is is a flop, yeah. and then they say, you know, toys out of pram. Oh, this, this we we've this wasn't quite what we envisaged, and uh, you know, then then the club's in, then the club's got problems. Well, this is the big fear, isn't it, Kieran? You mentioned the 700 season ticket holders at Crawley. And, and for those 700 people, Crawley Town is probably one of the most important, if not the important thing in their life. And you you worry that these new owners are taking over not a football club, but a marketing enterprise in their in their book, mm. basically, that they're, mm. they're going to get, they will get four weeks of publicity in, in the way that Peter McCormack got four weeks of good publicity out of buying his club in Bedford. And then you think, well, what's going to happen after that? And it's 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 just, it's life's difficult enough as it is as a Crawley fan, and, and there might be some initial interest and excitement, but then, as you say, if Liverpool fans are not buying NFTs, it's hard to see that global football fans will buy them for Crawley Town. Um, although, do you know what? It does surprise me, Ken. If you go through Gatwick Airport, I always think Crawley miss a trick and just say, look, if, you, if you're stuck at Gatwick for a couple of hours as millions of people are at the moment. Why, yes. not, why not pop down to Crawley Town see there's a game going on? Um, questions time, Kieran. We've we've spent quite a lot of time on those two news stories. And our, our first question is about financial fair play, and it's it's quite a simple one, but I, I'm, I'm asking it, <coughs> excuse me, I'm asking it because I think, as you've even implied, some of us are still not fully grasping the point of it and why and why we've had it for so long and it's going to change. But so it comes from Joseph Duda and Joseph Duda lives in the United States and says, we have the franchise model with our sports teams, which says Joseph, he hates and we have salary caps, but I have a question about your financial fair play. It doesn't seem very fair from what I've read. And I could be wrong. Welcome to my world, Joseph, a team's owner can put money in it to cover the losses of a club for three years. Uh, is that right? If not, could you give a better explanation of it and how is it enforced? And obviously, Kieran, we've already had 22 minutes and 48 seconds. 
So if you could do that in less than 22 minutes and 40 <laughs> seconds, that would be great. Sure. I, I think, first of all, Joseph has, has raised the, the relevant point about people think that the word fair in financial fair play implies that there is some sort of sporting fairness in it. Oh, that that yeah. was never the intention. And certainly under the, the new rules, and we'll talk about the new rules in, in, in the, probably next Thursday show, um, that's going to accelerate away from any form of uh, sporting integrity. But under, under the rules, um, owners can put in as much money into the clubs as they like now, if they put it in the form of loans, it doesn't count towards FFP at all. But if they put it in the form of shares, then under UEFA rules, effectively, the first €30 million Euro counts over a three-year period, although that's going to be extended to €60 million. Uh, In the Premier League, it's €105 million, and in the EFL, it's €39 now, so if you put in €200 million into a Premier League club, the first €105 million is is added into your FFP calculations um, to ensure that you're within the limits. Any excess above that is excluded. So um, that that's the way that the system works, Joseph. It's got absolutely, absolutely, it's got absolutely nothing to do with fairness. Um, they, but now we, we have now renamed the rules, of course, here in in England to profitability and sustainability. And looking at the rules, they've got nothing to do with profitability and nothing to do with sustainability either. So you know, it, it's a complete misnomer. The the titles that are given to this, there's there's nothing noble or egalitarian about them. It's it's mainly to do with protectionism as far as the Premier League and UEFA are concerned. Um, it, it's better in the EFL, in my opinion. Um, but uh, it, it is all going to be revamped soon. But, you know, that fair play element, Kieran, is interesting because uh, until I started doing this pod with you two years ago, uh, and I'm a reasonably intelligent bloke, except when it comes to money, as we know, but I, I assumed that the fair play part of financial fair play was to try and create a level playing field to ensure that money couldn't buy you success, and I, w- I couldn't have got that more wrong, could I? It's it's the exact opposite. It, yeah. It's to it's to protect those clubs that have an existing financial advantage. Anybody with ambition. So, you know, if if somebody wants to put five hundred million pounds into a club in the form of shares, and you know the, the nature of shares is that they never have to be repaid, um, then then you can't do that and invest, invest all of that into your playing squad. Um, so. If we if we if we take a look at those clubs, you know Chelsea and Manchester City, and and their fans will admit this. They they both struck gold in in Abramovich and Sheikh Mansour yeah. in terms of the way those those clubs were transformed. Um, could other clubs also strike gold in in the years following the introduction of financial fair play? The answer is no. The old money does not like new money, yeah. and and all of these rules are there to protect old money clubs. Now, our next question comes from a regular listener, Debashish Sikdar. Uh, and Debashish has a question about something else that's exercising our listeners at the moment, and that's stadiums. Uh, Debashish says, why is it so important for football clubs to own their stadium? Most major corporations and organisations don't actually own the offices or factories they operate in. Is it just that it's near on impossible for them to move location? Um, well, th- th- there's actually nothing wrong with renting a stadium and having a landlord provided the landlord is benevolent uh so uh you know if 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 the landlord's uh ethos and and belief for that local town or city 
aligns with the fan base and aligns with the club itself that then everybody can work uh, and 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 succeed together the problem is is where the landlord becomes uh, a developer or yeah. is a developer um you know we we've seen the uh, the company associated with Ian Rush you know that that's involved clubs effectively losing their rights to play um what happens if the developer uh, if we take a look at South End, you know the, the 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 ground is effectively owned by the owner, and in an ideal world, he wants the club to move to an out of town space because there's you know there's retail or there's uh, you know uh, domestic property potential because it, it's a big plot of land, a football ground, and if we go back to the history of football clubs, they they used to be central yeah. because yeah we we you know fo- football football was there before uh, you know public transport is is the way that we have it today. Um, so so that's that's the concern. Um, there's also an issue uh, in terms of what happens if a football club goes into administration but the stadium doesn't because it makes it makes the administrator's job a lot harder. And I think yeah we all know which club we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, and the, the other issue is if you, uh, if you are the tenant, that means that you're, you're often restricted on non-match days as to sweating the assets as to, you know, to generating money. So Spurs do own their stadium. Spurs are very, very good in my view at, at utilizing the, 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 the new ground on non-match days. Yeah, they've got the NFL, they've got concerts, um, you know, they're, they're hoping to have fights there and, and, and so on. And uh, you can, you can, you can walk over the, you know, you, you can do the, the Spurs walk and so on. And everything is geared towards separating people from their wallets. Now, you know, that's the Disneyfication of football. I, I understand it, you know, as, as an, as a, as a, oh, yeah, I'm the same as you. I'm an old legacy fan. I wouldn't choose to do it myself, but each to their own. You know, and if 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 I went to if I, if I went to Barcelona on on a Thursday and nothing to do, I'd, I'd probably go and visit the ground for exactly those purposes. If we then take a look at West Ham, it's you know West Ham don't have those those same rights, and it, it is more restrictive. So so that's that's the downside. So you know, I think from a protection of the club point of view, that's why we start to get a bit twitchy when there is this separation. We've seen what's happened at Coventry, um, you know, and and other clubs when when that when the club no longer owned the stadium, yeah. it, it, it's it's increasing risk. It, but not necessarily a bad thing, you know, because if, if if the landlord's good, all's fine. If the landlord's less than good, problems. Yeah, <clears throat> do you think they make that Spurs walk realistic? Because like for the first three quarters of it, you stride out full of confidence, and then just as it gets towards the end, the legs start to go a little bit, and they have, <laughs> and they have to drag you across the line. It's it's perhaps strange. Perhaps should, should we call it the Spursy walk? That'd be great. I, I would do the Spursy walk. It's yeah, yeah. as you say, Kieran. It's quite right, and I speak from experience, as, as you do. That when you when you don't own your stadium, when you're leasing it from Ron No, there is a certain unease about it. It doesn't feel mm. quite right. Um, there's another question here based on US sports, and it comes from Ben Hyten. Uh, and Ben Hyten says he saw a video the other day which talked about how easily it is for and a, a video. How long this this waiting list for questions is getting <laughs> very long. Betamax. If it's Betamax, we're definitely in trouble. Uh, ben saw a video which talked about how easily it is for NFL and baseball teams to move players out of their clubs without even having to notify them until the deal is done. The player can be told you've been traded 
to such and such a team on the other side of the country without being consulted or giving consent. What different rules, regulations around contracts here make it much harder for football teams to do this, as it seems that most of the time player power wins? It certainly does for high-profile players, yes. Yes, yeah. I mean, this is a cracking one from Ben, uh, and, and it has. Yeah, you know, I've I've often wondered about this one myself. In in the NFL, effectively, you've got the centralization of contracts, and uh, as far as trades are concerned, and remember, you cannot have a fee when there's an NFL trade. Yeah. So so you you've got to swap either player X for player Y. And it's now becoming increasingly difficult because of the NFL draft system. What you can do is that you can swap two or three players, but you can also swap your picks on the draft. So it's 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 quite quite complex. It's also relatively rare com- compared to the the transfer market that we have in in football here in in uh, in the UK and, and Europe and so on. Um, and, and part of the reason why it's it's rare in the states is that normally when a player signs for an NFL club, they get a huge signing on bonus. So, uh, you know, if 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 you then twelve months later decide that you're you don't want that player, you've you've already paid out a massive amount of money. Yeah. And unlike a football player trade, you're not going to get any of that back because all of that that money's gone to the player. Um, with with football, it, it all comes down to employment law, and you've got a contract of employment with the employer for a fixed period of time. You've also got a registration certificate, which is held by the club and lodged with the with the football authorities, and it's that that's being transferred. So um, the, the the footballer is in a position to say, "I've got a contract of employment with, say, Crystal Palace. If Manchester United come in for a player, if, if I'm happy living." Living where I am, yeah, my family's settled. Uh, I'm, I'm getting regular play. Do I do I want to go to Manchester? You've you've got to persuade me. So so it's it's there to the, the the rules protect the players to a certain extent. Um, they only move if they um, you know if if it's in their interest. Now, how do we make it in their interest? You normally do that by offering them more money. Um, at the same time, you know, we're, we're both old enough and. You know, experienced enough to know that if the club wants you out, it it can make things uncomfortable for the player in the sense of uh, you know you you have to go and play or you have to go and train with the youth academy or you're not allowed into team meetings and so on. So it's it's not it's not impossible for clubs to force players out, but it's 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 more it's certainly a lot more difficult in the states, as you say. You 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 find out via a phone call or a text from your from your club. Mm. Uh, our next question comes from Adam Hunt. Hello, Adam. Uh, sorry, I made that sound quite sinister, didn't I? Hello, Adam. Sorry. Uh, Adam Hunt says, Recently, Doncaster Bell's captain, Sophie Scargill, badly injured her knee in training, which resulted in her needing surgery. Now, she needed to go private because of the length of the NHS waiting list to be able to continue her career. And it cost around £5,000. And the club Doncaster offered to loan her the money for the treatment, which she declined and decided to crowdfund instead, which was a success, helped by contributions from a few big names like Gary Lineker and Danny Rose. But shouldn't the club and owners have been responsible for funding this treatment rather than offering to loan her the money? Now, I mean, we've spoken to an insurance experts recently, Kieran, and, and my instinct is if, the, if this accident happens at work while she's training, you'd think the club, even though £5,000 is a lot of money for a, a women's football team, you'd think surely that's the club's responsibility to cough up for that, isn't it? 
you would you would think perhaps they would have some insurance policy. I, I think there's there's a number of issues here. And first of all, you know, uh, you know congratulations. I, I Sophie is now back playing, um, and I believe I think she got a goal and an assist uh, for Doncaster Bells last last week. So you know, it, it's it's good that this has come through, uh, and also fair play to you know Gary Lineker putting three grand, and it, it does show that that. You know, all, all of the negativity that we we have in relation to footballers is actually, you know, you know quite a few. I've got to know quite a few. I, I, I've all found them to be absolutely brilliant. You know, yeah. Because at the end, at the end of the day, they're, they're sons and brothers and dads and, and and so on, just like us all. Um, I think um, with regards to women's football, there was a change in the rules for the WSL in 2019, and now that there is uh, medical insurance provided by clubs. Um, Doncaster Bells are in the fourth tier right. of of women's football, and that degree of cover does not go down as far as the fourth tier. Uh-huh. Don- Doncaster Bells are a loss making club, right. like many clubs, as we know, um, and you know, they they made that decision. Now, you know, they they will have their reasons for doing so. You know, from, clearly from an individual. A person's you know, perspective, you know, Sophie. I think you know the the waiting list for her operation was you know, a year and a half, which you know that that that's a, that's a separate issue, you know, with regards to to, to the funding of health in this country. Um, but um, so so she 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 did go down the private route. She didn't have the money herself because as a as a fourth tier women's footballer, you're not on a lot of money to begin with. Um, so sh- should should they uh, morally? I-, I think they've they've got a responsibility, but legally they don't. <clears throat> I guarantee that uh, Gary Lineker would have got several tweets thanking him for his contribution, and several hundred saying, "You're a multi-millionaire, mate. You could have paid for it all." Uh, <laughs> yeah, and he would have got one tweet saying, "You shit on the pitch," because. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, make, it makes him laugh a lot. The same bloke, every every tweet that Gary Lineker sends, this bloke replies by saying, you shit on the pitch, mate. Every single one. Um, I think it's reached a stage where Gary would be worried about the bloke if he didn't get a tweet from him. Um, and and t- talking of football at the, uh, the less wealthy end, there's a question here from Gareth Loke. Uh, and Gareth's question is about a team, as he says, at the other end of the spectrum, to money-rich PSG, Man City, and now Newcastle. And it's Lincoln Red Imps of Gibraltar. It's one of those team names that you love when you occasionally hear it, normally around June or July on Sky uh, in a a pre-qualifying game or whatever. But they have qualified for their first European group stage in the Europa Conference League. And Gareth wonders how much money they will gain from being in the competition. Right. Well, I think this could be, I think, very significant for Lincoln Redims. Um, you get a, a a flat fee for for the achievement, and first of all, extremely well done to to, to Lincoln Redims of two point nine million euro. Oh well, um, for, for getting yeah. yeah. So so that that's a game changer. On top of that, you get five hundred thousand euro for a win, one hundred and sixty six thousand for a draw. Um, and then there are other bits and pieces which will be linked to your UEFA coefficient, which is worth. Uh, and, and for people unfamiliar, what happens is that UEFA rank all thirty-two clubs in the um, in the Europa Conference, and you get uh, you know that's based on your previous performances within Europe. 
and the the club that's bottom of the coefficient gets forty four thousand. The club second from bottom gets double that. The club third from bottom three times that, and so on. So so depending upon how you've um, how how you've you progressed in European competition, and and it's effectively parachute payments under a different name. Um, then, then you get more and more money, and and that's the same in Europa Conference, the Europa League, and and the Champions League, um, and and they'll get some money as well from what's known as the market pool, which is linked to the amount of money their domestic broadcaster has paid for the rights. And, and I'm not being rude; I suspect uh, Gibraltar TV probably hasn't paid a huge amount of money because it's yeah. you know it's a relatively small population. So, so yes, it. it we're probably talking at least three million euro. If if they have a good run and, and good luck to them, then it could be considerably more than that. Um, for you know, clubs clubs in Gibraltar, it's 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 a small league. Um, it, it it will have a very significant impact upon their finances. Yeah, they played Celtic a couple of years ago, didn't they? And mm. what they want they they want to play as many British teams as possible because yeah, my experience is that. Yeah, football fans in Germany, for example, or yeah, in Romania, aren't that fussed about travelling to new grounds. Whereas over here, you get the chance to go and see Lincoln Red Imps play, and five thousand okay. of you are going to try and get tickets to go out there. Basically. Although a friend of mine went to Gibraltar for a wedding recently, said so it's very nice, but um, not impressed by the apes. <laughs> I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Ollie Kay says, when a potential buyer is looking to buy a football club, and this is an interesting one, I think, how much do they take into account the market value of the players a club has? It feels like it makes sense to take into account, but also seems difficult to do so, considering how debatable player values are and how quickly they can change. For example, if you are looking to buy Spurs, it's difficult to say whether they have a £1 million asset in Kane or a £150 million asset. And I suppose as well, Declan Rice is a classic example. Now, there's a debate going on about how much he's worth. So if, if somebody is looking to buy West Ham, are they going, well, I need to know how much this player's worth because he's an asset? Well, well, yes, because if you're making any investment, you look at the assets and the liabilities that you're acquiring. Um, and, and what you would do is because, yeah, the, the chances are that if somebody does, you know, Daniel Kratinsky, who is, is the Czech investor, who's, who's tipped to take his investment from 27% to much higher to gain control of Spurs. So it's a good gain control of West Ham in a couple of years. Um, he he will have taken advice, but Ollie's exactly right. You know, the value of a player is is volatile. It's, it's it's a bit like shares. It's it's a bit like cryptocurrency. You know, values can go up as well as down. Mm. Um, but one thing to to take into consideration is that if you are going to acquire a club, um, and if you're looking as players as assets, 
if if you sell them, it's it's not like you, you know, if if I buy if I buy a, some property assets and and I buy you know a, a four a, a row of four shops and I say, well, I only need two of them. I can sell two of them myself. With a football club, if you, if you're looking to 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 buy the club and sell two or three players, you you can't play a match with eight. Mm. So therefore, if you're going to sell players worth 150 million, realistically, if you want to maintain your status, then you're going to have to go and uh, replace them with with purchases of a similar level. So so that's one thing to to take into consideration. But you know, where do you get player values from? You you can look at places like transfermarket.com. But you then listen to the chief executive of transfermarket.com and he says, don't rely on our values because they are – and again, it comes from the community. Yeah. So what's the community? It's, it's lots of people playing FIFA in their bedrooms who say, well, according to yeah, – when I played with such of this player on FIFA, he's absolutely fantastic. And then, and then they go to Transfer Market and, and they change the player values. It's as simple as that. So um, try, trying to get a definitive value for, for a squad – is is nigh on impossible, um, and uh, it it does mean that buying football clubs is a bit of a punt. Mm. Our next two questions, Kieran, take us to Scotland, which is a country we're always happy to visit. And the first one comes from Ewan Hodgart. I'll apologise, Ewan, if that should be Hodgart, but we'll stick him with Hodgart for the moment. Ewan says you regularly state that because of the structure of prize money, parachute payments, etc., in Scottish football, that failure doesn't have such dire financial consequences as in the English leagues or other leagues. You do, Kieran. You talk about the slope versus the precipice. Following relegation to the Scottish Championship last season, Kilmarnock owner Billy Bowie stated that the player budget would remain the same for this season. Now, it looks like Killy will go back, but was that a risky strategy? Um, I, I, I don't think so. Uh, the, the difference between the bottom of the Premier League and the top of the Championship is, is half a million pounds in prize money. Right. Now, if you compare that to the, the bottom of the Premier League and the top of the Championship, we're probably talking 120 million. So uh, by by having Killy, yeah, and, and Killy is a club you know, looking at its results, bro- broadly it takes that Scottish approach of, of aiming to break even. It's a lot easier to break even in the Premiership than it is in the Championship because um, – you know that you're guaranteed two or three sellouts from home matches a season from the visit of you know, clubs who we don't even need to name, yeah. um, and and the, and the the additional interest because you're going to be picked on on a few more occasions for TV. But I, I think as a as, as a one season issue, um, Kilmarnock's wage bill is in the region of sort of two and a half to three million pounds. Uh, you know that's that's less than the average pay of a Premier League footballer. So it they 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 do operate a, a tight budget. Historically, they've they've never been paying out more than sort of fifty to sixty percent of wages um, uh, from from income in in a Premiership season. If that goes up to eighty percent or ninety percent for one season in the Championship, then then they will see that as money well spent. So I, I don't perceive this as being a major risk, and, and certainly from. From talking to people in the championship, they they are the, the biggest payers and the biggest hitters in that division. Mm-hmm. Um, our next Scottish question comes from Ewan John Robert Morrison. Now, occasionally, Kieran, we have questions from people who just give us one name. So, <laughs> yes. Ewan John Robert 
has balanced that out a little bit. Thank you, Ewan. Ewan says, I'm an Aberdeen fan. Uh, probably an unhappy Aberdeen fan this morning then, because they just split into the top and bottom six, and Aberdeen surprisingly in the bottom six with Hibs, the love of God. Uh, but John says, I'm an Aberdeen fan, and against Dundee, I noticed something odd about the players on our bench. One of them was a young goalkeeper called Tom Ritchie, who was covering due to our club captain goalkeeper being ill. Now, what's odd is that he's on loan at Huntley in the Highland League and played for them a few days before. He also plays for our youth team. How is this allowed? Is this something put in place to encourage clubs to not hoard young goalkeepers into reserves in case of scenarios like this? Yeah, yes, there there will have been first of all a recall clause um, in in respect of Tom, um, and uh, what we tend to see in addition to that is that there are special uh, issues with regards to goalkeepers. Yeah, you know, because you can because it is a unique position, uh, and whilst there isn't necessarily a lot of sympathy if if a couple of centre halves get injured, you will say, well, yeah, why can't the fullback or why yeah, can't yeah. you you bring there's an acknowledgement that because of the specialist nature of, of goalkeeping um, that uh, you are able to pick up people on short-term contracts or have recall clauses, as would appear to be the case with, with Tom Ritchie. You say he's only 18. Uh, you know, I did a bit of Googling. He, he, he looks, you know, I think he's, he's getting into the, the Scottish uh, young people's squad and you know, bright future for him. So uh, yeah, hope, hopefully he'll be off the bench and in the first team. Hmm. Uh, now, Thomas Franks has a question uh, you know I love a question, which is one of those questions which goes, oh, well, why have I not thought of this before? And I think this is really interesting. Thomas Frank says uh, his question is about Premier League partners and sponsors and how that affects the teams in the league. I was thinking about the fact that no clubs in the Premier League have a banking sponsor. Mm. Is this because Barclays, one of the main Premier League sponsors, have an agreement with the league that no club can have a conflicting sponsor to them? If this is the case, how do companies like Hublot and Budweiser not have the same privilege over clubs with watch and beer sponsors? Yeah, yeah I think this is a cracker from yeah. Tom. I, I think here you've you've got to look at the wording of uh, the contracts very carefully. Yeah, Barclays is the official bank of the Premier League. Uh, it's also sponsoring the Women's Championship, I think, mm. from next season, and it's putting a lot of money into the WSL. So, so fair play to them for that. Uh, you know, it, it is a growing area of the game. Um, whilst it is their official banking sponsor, if if we take a look at some other clubs we've, who who have finance sponsors. So so it's, it's, I think it's a case of you've got to look at the wording very carefully. You know, Liverpool was sponsored by Standard Chartered, yeah. Or a finance company. Uh, my team is sponsored by Amex. Again, yeah, a finance company, but they don't call themselves the banking partner. So this is all to do with wording. Um, certainly, Barclays. Uh, Barclays are very keen to uh, be the banking sponsor uh, of the Premier League. Um, not least at all because uh, it allows them to get access to, to players. And, and what, what Barclays are very keen to do is to get involved in what's known as wealth management. You know, given that the, the, average, uh, the average salary of a, of a Premier League footballer is somewhere in the region of £2.7 million a year, um, you need somebody looking after that money, and and I think Barclays have have seen this as sort of a uh, as as a step by step approach into getting access to the players and their representatives to give them financial advice. So so that's that's why it is the case. If we take a look at you know, you know Hublot and and uh, and, and alcohol uh, sponsors, um, the wording of those contracts. You know, one might be the official timekeeper of the Premier League, and another one will be the official watch supplier huh. of such and such a club 
And when it, you know, as as we know from our our legal friends, wording is very very important. Yeah. Now you and I did the responsible thing last week, Kieran. We missed out on our trip to the Papa John's final because of the faintest of faint lines on the COVID test, and of course we missed out on a cracking game. We did. But, but would, for example, Papa John? Uh, who I'm sure is a delightful chap, but would he get the hump if one of the teams in his uh, tournament turns out in a, a Domino's pizza sponsored shirt? Um, if if uh, uh, he wouldn't be particularly happy. Oh. Um, this is sometimes referred to as guerrilla advertising. Yeah, but uh, you know we're aware, for example, that Stevenage is is sponsored by Burger King. Yeah, you know, so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, there, there there is an overlap. Um, and one one way around of it to say that you know this uh, for, for this particular match, you know Papa John's will still have the benefits of having uh, perimeter advertising. Uh, is, is, that, is that a helicopter? Going it is there? a helicopter. Yeah, they're still looking for Uncle Terry. I, I haven't had the heart. <laughs> I haven't had the heart to tell the local police the bad news about Uncle Terry. But it's it's the usual Sunday morning flyover. It's just because it's so bloody sunny. I've got the door open basically. Right. Um, so, so it, it comes. It comes down to wording. Uh, Papa John's, when they sign the contract with uh, the EFL, they will be given first of all the naming rights to the tournament. Secondly, uh, yeah, I, I did watch the match. I mean, I, uh, I, 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 I contracted COVID. I think on the on, on Thursday or Friday. So, so I was I was gutted. Um, same as you. Um, but they also get all the perimeter advertising, and um, what was the was the match ball brought on by a Papa John's moped or something like that? Um, you know, so so they you know, they they pay for for various benefits um, with the EFL, but that, that they that doesn't that doesn't override existing contracts with with individual clubs uh, with with other potential sponsors. Yeah, it was the Thursday or Friday of the weekend before that you contracted COVID, Kieran. So it was on the tenth day. Any anybody any other podcast host would have just said, "Oh, we've had it ten days. We won't go." But we didn't want to be a super spread. We didn't want to be responsible for Rick Parry getting COVID. Essentially, <laughs> well, one of us didn't, Kieran. Let's put it that way. Um, we have. We have one question left, and then we've got a couple left over from the live show. Um, and I'm aware that this is already 52 minutes in, so perhaps we could keep this answer relatively short. Uh, Simon Staines has asked a question which uh, people like to ask us when they meet us in person, or they like to ask you. But Simon says, which clubs below National League Premier level, for example, do you think have the most potential to become a football league side and possess to higher levels? In other words... Who are the sleeping giants? He's and he says sorry, in brackets. <laughs> <laughs> National League North and South or below. Until somebody comes up with something better than sleeping giants, that's fine. In the same way as as a comedy writer, there is nothing that goes up and down like a roller coaster. You, you sit there and you go, we can't say a roller coaster ride, and then you think, well, what else goes up and down? Uh, it's just, I don't know, a, a dragon. Umbrellas? Umbrellas. You go up and down like an, that hasn't got the same effect. Yeah, no, it hasn't really. Down no, like no. An umbrella. A bride's nighty. As, uh, <laughs> is that great songs? Up and down like a bride's nighty. That, that again, that ages us. Um, that does age us. <laughs> who was that? It was, Jill, it was the same guy who did Jill. I know him. He's a mate. Who did that Quite song? Graham Fellows. Graham Fellows. Yeah. Yes, Graham yeah. Fellows. Yeah, he's... Um, uh, delightful. It's very funny that song. Up and down like a bro. No, anyway. Uh, so yeah. So the sleeping giants, Kieran, in that so, the BAFTA have gone. <laughs> 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 um, 
Right. Uh, well, I, I sort of divided this between National League North and National League South. Now, my my my, my conclusions came that it would be mainly National League North. National League North clubs have got a lot of professional clubs. National League South is, is nearly all um, part-time. Is, yeah, is there a reason? We've discussed this before, Kim. Is there a, a reason for that? To do? Is it Or is it just that, coincidentally, most of the clubs in National League South are smaller or haven't been in uh, higher leagues before? I, I think it's, it's, it's a combination of both of those. Um, yeah, ultimately, if, if we go back to the history of football, um, it was working class towns mainly in the north. Yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the initial, yes, the yeah. initial, fo- you know, the initial football association. You, you look at the teams involved, and it was it was very much concentrated in the north of England. Um, so, clubs that have gone, you know, have, have had poor, you know, have fallen on hard times. We've got York City, we've got Hereford, we've got Chester. Uh, you know, all of whom, you know, I, I can remember York City uh, in the equivalent of the championship. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know Chester, Chester was always a good day out. Hereford has got a special memory for, for all Brighton fans as well. Huh. Uh, but one other one which I would pick out, um, and, and this might make me unpopular with some, would be AFC Fylde, oh. uh, mainly because they, they appear to have quite a lot of financial backing from an owner. And, and you know, we've seen with Salford City that that can accelerate you through into the EFL. Um, when, it, when it came to National League South, um, I, I, I put on my hipster uh, gear. Yeah. I, I, I twirled my moustache. Uh, I got on my penny farthing, and instantly <laughs> it, it, it had to be Dulwich Hamlet. Really? Be- oh yeah, yeah. Because I, I think they've th- there's a romance about that club, uh, in my view, that uh, that could make it very attractive. Um, you know, just as as you know, lots of people go to. Go to to Germany to watch St. Pauli, yeah. who are sort of you know the anarchist, the 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 anti-establishment club. Um, I think Dulwich Hamlet could market themselves on those lines um, and uh, you know, accelerate uh, you know and, and make progress uh, on the back of that. Well, they do that very well. Dulwich is just down the road for me. Um, it's very much not where I live. I hasten to point out, but it's only a couple of stops away and. A friend of mine lives there, and and when you get off the train, uh, Dulwich Hamlet, you're immediately surrounded by references to the football club, mm. which is very close to the station. They they do that very well. There there are banners, posters. All the local shops have a Dulwich presence. The the pub is full of photographs of old Dulwich teams. So, I think they're aware of that marketing opportunity, and that's an interesting. But would they not struggle, obviously, with the fact that they've they've got Wimbledon Palace, uh, Millwall. Very close to them. Um, yes, but in, in in the same way that we still have a, a Rochdale and an yeah, yeah, yeah. um, and, and, and yeah, a resurgent Stockport as well yeah. uh, in, in the city of Manchester. I, I think I think there there is there there is a place for a you know a successful you know, non-league stroke you know League Two team in in that area. Um, it, it won't be easy uh, because the national league itself is is full time, and, and I think that that would be the big barrier. So they'd have to have, if they had the right financial back, backers, then then I think that there there is an opportunity there. Yeah, and also actually thinking about it, and we spoke to this to the chief exec of Dulwich a year or so ago. If they did that thing where they were playing on a Friday night, I think I'd I'd only be too happy to go and see Dulwich mm-hmm. play on a Friday night and Palace on a 
Saturday. Now, we have two questions left, Kieran. And remember, at the live show, we had so many questions that we couldn't get to. We did promise we would answer some of them on the pod. So these last two of that. And the, the first one uh, was probably more relevant at the time for a worried Derby fan like Martin Plummer. Because Martin wanted to ask us uh, a couple of weeks ago, if we get a takeover of my club, Derby, would the club own the stadium and training ground again, or would they still be owned by Mel Morris? And we have spoken about this in line mm. with the preferred bidder uh, announcement last week, but it's, it's just worth a quick summary, Kieran, for Martin. Yes. Um, Mel Morris officially would still own the uh, stadium. Um, I I have been given a, a rough uh, summary of the Ooh. offer from Chris Kirchner. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think in an ideal world, he would like the stadium to be bought uh, by the local council and he would then rent it from them. Um, I think he's very keen on the EFL to uh, apply the 15-point penalty this season because Derby, are, yeah. I hate to say it, Derby are almost, almost down. Yeah. Um, and uh, from, from what I heard, it would uh, it would be very bad news for both HMRC and unsecured creditors. But yeah, that's that, that's just something I've I picked up on on the wire, shall we say? Uh, but if that's the best offer, then you know it's it it, it shows that, uh, that that Mel Morris, to a large extent, appears to be uh, have a, have a lot of control over these things because. He could have put the stadium into administration, or he could have given the stadium to the the supporters trust to manage for the future of the club. And he chose to do to do neither of those to to look after his own financial interests. It, 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 I know a lot of Derby fans tweeted us jokingly saying how much they look forward to the time when they're not on your uh, contents list that you tweet before each pod. Um, but is this not a worrying sign if if the potential new owner? doesn't want to buy the ground or he wants somebody else to buy the ground, does that mean he can't afford it or he doesn't think it's a financial risk worth taking? Well, given that he, he bid for the club in December and that di- that bid was fairly firmly rejected yeah. by Quantumar at the time, he, he won't be bidding more. Right. You know, for, because we're, you think about it, for, we're four months later down the road. The, the, the probability of relegation is higher now than it was then. And a lot of the saleable assets in the form of players have been sold by the administrators to to fund the the monthly wage bill. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and also, you know, he, he he did bid for Preston, and that that got knocked back as well. And you know, I, I suspect that you know, Derby has has you know a bigger fan base than than Preston, and has got a bigger stadium, uh, even though it's not in administration. So, you, you, it it does make you wonder as as to the extent of the bid, but. Uh, uh, if, uh, if 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 my sources are correct, and yeah, yeah and you know, there are, you're never certain on these things. Mm. Uh, it, it didn't it didn't look like a great bid for um, a lot of people uh, in Derby who who are not necessarily directly connected to the football club. Mm. We also had a tweet here saying it's not Quantumar, it's Quantumar. Um, but until the unlikely day that Quantumar or Quantumar get in touch with us to tell us how you do pronounce it. and <laughs> They've resolutely refused to get in touch with us so far on any other subject, so I doubt if they'll get in touch with that. We're sticking with Quantumar. Our final question comes from Nick H. Nick H. And Nick says, what do you think about the marriage between private equity and football? Who benefits most and can it be football? Um, well, the nature of private equity is the focus is on cost-cutting, the focus is on bottom line, the focus is on a return on investment 
And the focus is on finding an exit route because if you buy the club for yeah, 50 million, you're looking to sell it for 150 million normally in three to five years' time. You know, a normal private equity uh, approach to to acquisition and disposal of business goes along those lines. Um, does football benefit from any of that? No, it doesn't. Uh, so pri- private equity is um, is is interested in football because it sees money to be made. Private equity is not, private equity people are not football fans. Uh, so I, you know, again, as as a legacy fan uh, who knows a little bit about finance, uh, I'm. I'm extremely nervous when I see these uh, references to private equity coming in to rescue clubs or rescue, uh, in the case of you know like the likes of La Liga and so on. Uh, I, it, 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 th- there is the opportunity for, for both parties to benefit, but but I know which of those parties is going to benefit the most, and it's not going to be football. Well, speaking of private equity, thank you to everyone who's made a donation to the pod via our Patreon site. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to our always free-to-air pod, then go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall leave you in the hands of Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thanks for everybody that does support us via uh, Patreon. Uh, it, it's 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 very kind uh, of you, uh, and and we we genuinely appreciate it. There's other ways that you can support the the show as well, um, and that's by going on to your your podcast provider and uh, and leaving us a review. It doesn't matter, yeah, whether it's Spotify or Google Google Podcasts or, or Apple or the Apple Podcast app. Um, it helps us in the charts. It helps us to have a bit of credibility when when we're trying to to book some guests, and and, and we've got some we've got some cracking guests coming up uh, in, in in the next few weeks as yes. well, which we're really looking forward to to, to chat to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, there's a story about Barry Hearn and my ex-wife, which I probably won't tell. Um, but depends who comes out yeah maybe yeah yeah let's let's tell you what let's make a decision now kieran and say no don't tell it (laughs) (laughs) okay um but uh the the way that you can do that is is to give us a review uh if you give us five stars if you think if if you think we're worth it of course that'll be fantastic and and it and it doesn't matter what you say myself and kevin's egos can 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 cope with it even if you'd said you'd rather the show was presented by Betty Boothroyd and Scatman John. <laughs> uh, sorry, that's very far. I'm still thinking about Barry Hearn and your ex-wife. Did he did he drive a snooker loopy, Kieran? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bye everybody. <laughs> Bye. I'm for the